Welcome to Melly, a conversation on St. Martin history by Jonathan Van Arneman, Kyra Brown, Ralph Kempel, and Steffi Gomes. Come hear the Melly and share the Melly. Good morning to all our radio listeners and viewers out there. Welcome to the second episode of Melee, a conversation on St. Martin history. Not just general Melee, but this is uh, a Melee that is more structured. And <laughs> informed <laughs> Melee. <laughs> informed Melee, correct. Not just informing on someone, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we start off with a little bit of humor, but indeed, good morning to everyone. And thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, we are so glad and excited to be here. Um, so many of us, um, you know, were uh, overwhelmed by the warm and positive responses by the first episode, which took place on Emancipation Day on July 1st. And so this Saturday on July 18th, we're back with another episode, and you can expect some more. And, uh, well, you're listening to Ralph Kantav, and I'm joined by some other phenomenal, awesome young people, and uh, you guys can go ahead and introduce yourselves. This is Jonathan Van Arneman. Carla. And we have with us, um, coming in from... France, um, Miss Steffi Gump. Steffi, how are you doing? Okay. Can you hear me correctly? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, perfect. And uh, so to basically move along uh, with the discussion, last week, or oh, not last week, uh, the, the first time or two weeks ago, uh, we spoke about, well, emancipation. Because, you know, we were on, on Emancipation Day, and uh, uh, for today's topic, we decided to progress along with um, the conversation we had. One thing, one of the things I found interesting was how we spoke about uh, the way in which um, the two sides, the two uh, political sides of the island, that didn't really matter when emancipation was concerned because, well, it was just so easy to cross the border and enter into a different territory and either gain your freedom or use that as a way to um, just um, whether go to other islands and then claim your freedom. And so today, you know, in our post discussion, we were like, okay, what, what would be some interesting uh, topics that we could uh, share with you guys? And so today's topic is the border, um, the beloved border, which some of us called an invisible border or maybe a beloved border, border, which has also um, came along with uh, several uh, fights and um, um, how to say arguments and so forth, and so we today we're going to be basically break down some of the events that took place revolving around the border and why is the border significant? Why is it that you know it was placed even where it was? And so uh, to go ahead and continue, I guess I'll hand over the floor and the mic to Miss Long. Thank you. So um, you know, as the previous uh, episode, we each have our own um, angles that we come at this issue with. And so I thought that this week I would kind of provide an overview to borders as in general around mm -hmm. the world and how they came to have a certain significance. Um, and so in the case of St. Martin, in thinking about the border, it's, you know, there's a specific reason why we must claim one island, one people, and it's because we want to counteract the significance um, of the presence of a border on the island. Mm -hmm. And when we claim that we're making an argument ag um, of being one island, one people, it's against this globally established norm of what a border should operate like. Mm -hmm. um, and so pre-1648, all the way back through history, I know I'm uh, grouping together a lot, um, but um, you basically have you know, civilizations of people, mm -hmm. you have empires, you have city-states, uh, but all along that way, 
borders weren't necessarily hard things. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't necessarily about the movement of people. It was more about control over resources. Mm. Um, but you basically had bleeding borders where even if someone had an idea that, you know, part of a land was theirs, it wasn't necessarily so established. And of course that uh, has to do a lot with, for example, the existence of maps, knowing mm -hmm. exactly what territory exists and mm -hmm. whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but then our modern understanding of borders really comes in 1648 with the Peace of Westphalia. Uh, and so these are two treaties that were si signed within Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, and the first is on January 30th, which ends the 80 years war between um, the Spanish and the Dutch. Mm -hmm. And the next was signed on October 24th, um, 1648. And that ends the 30 years war, Correct. the 30 year wars. Correct. And uh, the signers of this are the Holy Roman Emperor, the German princes, France and Sweden. And mm. so it's within uh, the Treaty of Westphalia that you have the outlining of this idea of territorial sovereignty. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when it first comes into play. And states were seen as the only entities to then engage in diplomacy and war. Uh, but slowly, still, even though you had this idea that, uh, or European countries had this idea that they were carving out territorial sovereignty for themselves, mm -hmm. there was not the technology as yet to create this homogenous group of people within these borders. Mm. Uh, and it's with the introduction of things like the printing press, with railroads, that suddenly governments were able to control more and more the people within their territorial sovereignty. Mm. And it's... So that's already still in 1648, and it's not until 1919, with the end of the First World War, that we see this idea of the combination between people and territory. Mm. Um, and that comes out of the Paris Peace Conference with Woodrow Wilson, mm -hmm. um, and he presented his 14 points, um, and Woodrow Wilson was the U.S. president at the time, and uh, within the 14 points, it mentions that, you know, borders should divide the world quote, along clearly recognizable lines of nationality. Mm. Uh, wow. So you have this idea then of the birth of the nation state. Mm. And alongside the end of World War I, you have the birth of the League of Nations, which is the predecessor of the United Nations. And through the League of Nations in 1920, you basically have this solidifying through an institution that uh, nation states are the legitimate form of interaction mm -hmm. in the international community, mm -hmm. right? So it recognizes the nation state uh, as the highest uh, form of power, and thus uh, only nation states can interact with, with between each other, and thus mm. you must be a nation state to interact, mm -hmm. right? Um, and taking so many notes. That's when. So that's really when borders start to uh, solidify. Mm -hmm. And um, but you know you have the nation state. So that's the idea that the nation, which is the cultural entity, which is the people, uh, must align with the political entity, which is the state. Uh, if you go, for example, into the work of. Uh, Benedict Anderson, who, who writes Imagine Communities, um, it's then you can kind of see or understand that borders are a project, right? Mm -hmm. If a state says that they control this sovereign territory, they have to then actively make sure that the people within those borders see themselves as one. It doesn't mm -hmm. just come naturally. Mm -hmm. Nationalism and patriotism today tells us that we have this origin story, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's completely fabricated by state systems mm -hmm. to make people believe that, you know, 
even though someone lives on the west side of France, the person on the east side of France is one with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so borders become these projects. And in his work, uh, Anderson talks about the different ways in which this is done, which is through mediums such as newspapers, censuses, maps, and museums. Mm. And specifically censuses. If you think about something like a census that seems harmless, uh, but if you realize that then throughout history, because of census, being made by the state, mm -hmm. you suddenly have information that is created only about what's within a given border. Correct. Mm. And so suddenly you start to understand the space around you, how many women and men make up uh, 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 the demographics of a certain mm -hmm. area, all of that kind of information within the borders of a state. And so it all starts to legitimate the borders as the end of where you relate to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so beyond that, you're, you're seeking other kinds of uh, relationships with people. Wow. That's kind of how borders come to be uh, solidified right. and how they become like a, a political project, really. Um, and if we go back to thinking as well about St. Martin and the way that we challenge borders, uh, we also know for ourselves that the nation and the state don't always match. So the cultural unity and the political unity. And Examples exist across the world from Nigeria to Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, and the question also stands for European countries. I think that sometimes, because European countries created originally this Treaty of Westphalia, we think that they fit within this box perfectly as well, when they don't, which we can see with examples such as Catalonia wanting uh, mm -hmm. self, yeah, the right to self-determination yeah, from Spain. Spain yeah. you know? So it's, it's not necessarily this homogenous project. Mm. Um, but after the League of Nations and the United Nations and la la la, uh, we then also within world history saw what we thought would become a borderless world with the creation of things like the European Union, right? Mm -hmm. But then what you see is basically after 9-11 and, and 2001, uh, we have again the solidifying of borders when we thought that we were aiming or going towards a borderless world. And after 9-11, borders really became this uh, barrier that you... Uh, would necessarily think of maybe hard or soft, mm -hmm. but they were becoming harder because nations wanted to start to manage who entered and who left their country. Correct. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it became more, more and more important to really solidify, you know, who is from this country and who is not. Who's coming in, who isn't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the, the issuing of biometric passports, that's mm -hmm. all about the sharing of data. And governments are now, I mean, heavy dealers in data mm -hmm. of their citizens mm -hmm. and now foreigners as well. And asking countries to cooperate and sharing data about mm -hmm. people. But, you know, borders have more and more become this uh, political topic Correct. in terms of managing people in and out. And we see this a lot in the current rhetoric of building walls, yeah, building fences, yeah, yeah. Uh, having armed officials uh, board... Uh, land borders. Yeah, yeah. land borders. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of against this global backdrop that we're discussing St. Martin's internal border. Yeah. Um, so while acknowledging that we... we we don't operate our border maybe like borders are happening around the world, but mm -hmm. it's, it's within this idea that we're asking ourselves, you know, what does our border mean to us? Mm -hmm. And I think moving forward, I ask everyone um, to kind of relate back to what I was talking about with the work of Benedict, uh, Benedict Anderson uh, in Imagine Communities and thinking about the institutions that we have here on St. Martin that create us as one mm -hmm. or divide us. Because mm -hmm. if I think of newspapers, censuses, maps, museums, 
uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of there being two distinct sides uh, in what we're in the institutions that we give power to and the information that's created. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you look towards what gives a message of one island, one people, I think you end up thinking more about possibly radio shows. Uh, and mm -hmm. institutions like this. And so it's for us to question, you know, what institutions help solidify our borders, even culturally, um, and which ones don't. Thank you, Carla. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, uh, I, I appreciate all that you said because, um, like I mentioned, it's like it's noteworthy. And I think um, overall, even as we, you meant, I, I love that you, you give that global backdrop because even our border, as, as local as it is, it's part of the international games, you know, um, because it, it doesn't just affect us, but, you know, there are so many other parties involved and interested um, because of the value um, it has. And I think that's definitely another thing where um, borders serve as not just a marker, but help to give a nation its identity because everything beyond or or in beyond or behind that border um, determines um, the people group that controls it and, and, and uh, the value that they place on it as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Steffi, would you like to then follow with that? Yes. Uh, thank you, Carla, for your introduction uh, on uh, why are borders made. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Treaty of, of Westphalia and the date of 1648, which uh, miraculously, not really, coincides <laughs> with uh, the year uh, on which the Treaty of Concordia was signed. Mm -hmm. um, so. We have the mythical version of uh, the, the signature of the treaty and the, the design of the border. We all have uh, in our head, at a moment of time, the story that we that we learned. Mm -hmm. who, who taught this? Who taught us this story? I don't know, but I just know it, and yeah. you know it, and everybody knows it. Yeah. Of these two soldiers who were back to back and began walking in opposite directions, and the point where they would meet would be the end of the line of the um, of the border and uh, the myth says well, the, the myth involves alcohol and uh, so the French uh, soldier has wine uh, and he walks steadily and the Dutch soldier is made fun of because sometimes he drinks beers other times he drinks rum uh, point to, well it's just to say that he walks slowly poorly he's not in good shape and uh, that would explain why uh, the Dutch side is smaller, mm -hmm. was, yes, smaller than the, the French side. Um, so it's a very amusing story. Uh, it's a good one to tell to kids and to tourists. Mm -hmm. However, it's not necessarily the empirical truth. True. So, um, True. so uh, I mentioned the year of 1648, but I would like to go back a bit because the Treaty of Westphalia is the end of the 80 years war or the Dutch War of Independence and so everything that happens in Europe has a resonance in the Caribbean and, and in Asia because the colonial powers are playing this little chess game uh, putting uh, saying okay this island is gonna be mine okay it's yours then, then I'm gonna take it because we have this problem going on in Europe mm -hmm. so there are alliances and and people who fight etc so uh, in Brazil you have uh, the, the Dutch who who take a part of Brazil that is called Olinda it's a city and then you have them uh, taking Curso mm -hmm. who was to the Spain the Spaniards and the, the Portuguese and the same happens in St. Martin because in St. Martin um, the French and the Dutch settled around 1629, 1632, 
Um, but in 1633, uh, the Spaniards see that there are French and, and, and Dutch on St. Martin, and mm. they're like, oh, you're not going to take our little island. Correct. Not because we love it, but because we have a war going on in, 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 uh, in Europe, Correct. and we want to minimize uh, what you have in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, they, they conquest the, the forts, and so the French uh, go back to St. Christopher, where they have a, 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 a real basis, and the Dutch go back to St. Eustatius, where they have really, uh, where, where, where they, they are well settled as Correct. well. So the war continues, and in 1648, there's the Treaty of Westphalia, the war is over, and St. Martin is still an island where there's not much to be, to fight about, really. So uh, they even call it one of the islands, the most, one of the most useless islands uh, for like <laughs> the Spaniards called Austin Martin, one la, unas de las islas más inutiles. So uh, they're like, okay, we're gonna leave Saint Martin, uh, but before we leave, we're gonna destroy everything that we that we built during right. us between 1633 and 1648. Correct. So all the cisterns, the ports, all the their settlements. And um, to do that, they have a boat that comes from Puerto Rico, and on that boat, boat there are French and Dutch prisoners. Mm -hmm. When they arrive on the island, uh, they they fled the the the, the Dutch the, the, the uh, their, their, the their, the, the, not the the Spaniards Correct. that they came with, yeah. and they hide from from them. Mm -hmm. And they decide uh, to to tell their respective gov their respective governments in uh, St. Eustatius and in St. Christopher, right. that the island of St. Martin is free to be settled. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how uh, the, the French and the Dutch power learn about St. Martin being free to settle. Uh, there's a little bit of a conflict there because um, the, the, so the, the prisoners, the French and Dutch prisoners in St. Martin, uh, they, they join forces to tell their respective powers, but like the Dutch prisoners trick the, the French prisoners mm -hmm. and they only uh, go to St. Eustatius, they don't go to St. Christopher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then the, the French prisoner has to go, like to find another way to, to tell uh, the, the French that they can, they can come to St. Martin. Uh, they first come a little bit of soldiers and the Dutch are like, no, you're not going to come in St. Martin. And then they come back with 300, 300 men yeah. <laughs> and the Dutch are like, like let's do it. Let's let's yeah. share this island. Let's be reasonable. And so, <laughs> sorry. We were like, okay, let's be reasonable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not gonna fight about this. <laughs> so on the Dutch side, on the yes, on the Dutch side, there's there's Martin Thomas that is sent mm -hmm. uh, by by his the governor of Saint Eustatius, mm. and on the French side, it's uh, de la de, de la Tour who represents French France. And so they go on the, the Mount of Concordia, mm -hmm. where they can see both of their side of interest. And they decide that the French are going to take uh, the side that looks, uh, that, 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 that faces Anguilla. Mm -hmm. And the Dutch are going to take the, the other side, the southern side. And um, actually, separating islands is not that uh, unusual at that time because you have uh, St. Christopher that is divided between the British and the French, Correct. and you have Hispaniola that is divided between the Correct. Spaniards and the French. Correct. So it's, it's, not, it's, it's not an unusual case. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they decide to, to share the island in a manner in which the most uh, advantageous side 
with a, um, a deep uh, port, the, the Philipsburg um, Bay, a deep bay. Uh, Philipsburg is smaller and the French side is bigger mm -hmm. because it's less easy to, to manage because it's more rocky, um, it's, it's more difficult to, to settle simply. And there's this, uh, there's, there's the British uh, menace that is just across. Yeah. So that's how it, uh, it basically really happens. Yeah. Okay. That's sorry. I thought you were going to add something to that because, um, what I wanted to add based on what you were saying is what, what came to mind and with what you and Carla said is, you know, borders also basically serve as a means of protecting natural resources. Um, the, the, the main, um, significance of borders is really to, um, uh, ensure that one a, a nation or territory has a claim to a land and I think what's interesting about that in relation to the Dutch was the fact that for them uh, they were they were fine with um, settling on St. Martin because although there was not much um, sources of fresh natural wa uh, fresh fresh water for them it was all about the salt pans you know um, because the Spaniards and Portuguese um, cornered them cornered the salt market which was critical to their herring industry, uh, St. Martin's only ma main purpose or goal for the Dutch was really just to ensure that, you know, they were able to harvest the salt from, from the island just to ensure that their industry is protected. And, uh, and, and so what you said really made me thought about that. But I had, a, I guess, a question just for a, a quick um, discussion amongst us, which is basically, you know, when you look at the, the border today um, and... And all that we've learned, uh, whether in school or just on our own, how 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 do you feel about the fact that um, even in as recent as a few months ago, um, the idea that we pitch Saint Martin as you know a, a friendly island with open borders and you know you can just easily cross over um, that 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 fact that the uh, how should I say imaginary or um, non basically non-existent border actually is an, is in existence and it's still very much quite much a, a hard border. I think you're you're infringing upon the things I'm gonna talk about. Oh so you you, you <laughs> go ahead, sorry. <laughs> this is a super valid question. So with that will segue <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um so what I'm gonna talk about is basically the Treaty of Concordia that mm. Stiffy was alluding to that was signed on the Mount of Concordia. Um and so this treaty between the Dutch and the French um, according to Daniela Jeffrey, the late Daniela Jeffrey, who is a St. Martin historian and author, mm -hmm. you can see this treaty as St. Martin's first constitution. Um, because without this treaty, St. Martin would not exist. And so basically, it's going through a list of different articles of mm -hmm. how the Dutch and the French are going to exist and cohabit on this one island. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of really, really interesting things that are included in the treaty. The first thing I want to point out is that there is a Dutch governor and there is a French governor and both governors are governors of the entire island and not of the French side or of the Dutch side. So from the, the inception of St. Martin, you have this, this joint governance, these, these two people who are making decisions based on the island as a whole mm -hmm. and not separating it as Dutch versus French, mm -hmm. which is actually, weirdly enough, more progressive than the government we have today mm. that divides it by Dutch and French and keeps us in these camps mm -hmm. of the Dutch side versus the French side as opposed to making laws and rules and regulations that actually apply to the island as a whole. Mm. Um, 
so I'm going to kind of just go through the Treaty of Concordia and talk about a little, um, just touch on different um, things that I found interesting. Um, so the first two articles are basically what Steffi was saying, like the French is going to inhabit the part that faces Anguilla. Mm -hmm. The second one is that the Dutch is going to get the part of St. Martin that is close to the fort, Fort Amsterdam, so Great Bay, that area. Um, so it's like, okay, those two things are settled. Like we have the French side and we have the Dutch side. Um, the third article, uh, it basically says the French and the Dutch should share the island and live as friends and allies. Mm. Um, and if someone breaks this, then it should be punishable by law. So it's basically saying there needs to be a type of mutual respect and cohabitation. Um, and I think that exactly ties into the de facto emancipation, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, if the French side emancipates um, the people of the French side, uh, and there is mutual respect on both sides, and there's mutual cohabitation, then why wouldn't the Dutch side follow suit? Correct. So I really think that that de facto emancipation of the Dutch side that we saw in 1848 is actually in accordance with the Treaty of Concordia, right? And the fact that... Um, Can I say something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, about, it's also about uh, parallelism. So it's a principle between states that say that states that if one state applies, applies something from an, for another one, then the other one has to apply the same thing, you know? Mm. Yes, exactly. So, uh, exactly. For me, it's exactly. also... Important. Hats off to you, Steffi. Um, yes, so um, respect and cohabitation. And then um, something else that was mentioned by Daniela Jeffrey uh, in her talk about the Treaty of Concordia is that the European presence on the island has been very volatile throughout the years. Mm. People have been coming, people have been going, there's been different changes in government and people leaving, but what has been constant is the presence of black people on the island who have actually maintained the stability and the culture and the relevance, and without that constant presence, mm. the, the since Martin would, I mean, it, it might just be not what it is today. Yeah, know? so it's yeah. like you're yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so it's like the people who are really living out the ideals of the Treaty of Concordia are actually the. I mean, you could call them native. Yeah, like should I say native? Like, can you say they're native? I mean, yeah, that's. Put well, a pin in that uh, one. Um, <laughs> yeah, we get back to that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's pretty much you know the sons of the soils, the daughters of the soil. Correct. It's, correct. It is it is the black people of Saint Martin that are really uh, inhabiting that. Um, Article four um, is basically saying that this is our first instance of some sort of cooperative policing on the island because mm. it's saying that a French person cannot create. Uh, or um, a French person cannot uh, commit a crime mm -hmm. and then run to the Dutch side um, to hide from the crime. It's like if someone does that, then the Dutch side must then hand over that person to to the French side. Um, so it's like there is that understanding that um, there it, it can't be like a, I'm going to hide from you on this side and you're going to hide from Like we need to be in talks with each other. We need to be in cooperation with each other. Um, and then Article 5 is talking about um, sharing all of the natural resources of St. Martin. Mm. Um, so it's saying that the, the resources of St. Martin should serve to benefit 
the residents of Sins Martin. And I think that's super, super interesting because um, what I interpret that to mean is if the resources of Sins Martin are supposed to serve the residents of Sins Martin, mm -hmm. then the idea of a private beach should not exist, right? Correct. If all of the resources on the island should be common, should be meant to to serve all of the residents on the island, and this idea of the privatization of nature, mm -hmm. then that becomes um, in direct contradiction of, of this law, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so thinking about that, you know, um, I've, I've had friends from uh, different islands, you know, come to visit me on St. Martin, and a lot of them are surprised, like, because in, on their islands, you have to pay to go to the beach, and it's almost like this access thing, like, who can afford to, to go to the beach, especially the best beaches on the island, like, you have to pay money. And that are typically dominated by, uh, like, hotels and so yes, forth. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so St. Martin was Which a real witnessed. surprise yeah, for, yeah. for them because it's just like, oh, like, you have these amazing beaches that mm -hmm. are completely open or completely free. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think maybe that is actually dating back to the Treaty of Concordia. Like, that has been a part of our culture as a part of our understanding of our relationship to the land and that's why that exists um and i hope that it continues to exist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay article six says that um it shall be permitted to french persons at this present residing with the dutch to join french if it pleases them and to take with them their movables da, 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 da. it's pretty much saying the French side should be able to move to the Dutch side. The Dutch side to be able should be able to move to the French side, and mm -hmm. there should be no limitation of the moving across borders. So that's the open border right there. And what's that? What this is basically saying is that every time we close the borders, yeah, it French goes yeah. against yeah. <laughs> the Treaty of Concordia, uh -huh. right? Because it's like then you're not allowing the Dutch people to move freely to the French side and the French people to move freely to the Dutch side. Mm -hmm. So. I think our understanding hmm. is is being changed in a contemporary context because um, before, I mean, recently and recently, like what the past ten years, like we really hadn't seen the border being closed in the way that it's being closed recently, right? Like we and, have seen the border closed often. Often, <laughs> it's almost like a regular occurrence now. Yeah. Like we were like, oh, you know, Dutch side is letting in Americans. Is French side gonna close the border? And it's just like, oh, yeah. like that's that's actually like, something we, yeah. that they can do correct, now, correct. right? Whereas since 1648, like that was something that was agreed upon that should not be. Um, and so I think that's super interesting how we are kind of being pressured into now adopting the the hard borders that Carla was talking about that was never a part of our inception as an island True. um article seven uh that's basically saying that um if one person attacks the dutch side the french side has to help if someone attacks the french side the dutch side has to help so there's joint forces there's joint defense systems correct um that's really natural <laughs> article eight um mm -hmm. is talking about the delimitation and partition of the island between the two nations and it's saying that um whatever they decide needs to be ratified by um the dutch authorities on saint eustatius and the french authorities uh, in France or in St. Kitts, as, as Steffi was saying. And why I think number eight is so interesting mm -hmm. is that um, the big problem with the Franco-Dutch Treaty of 95, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, but 
in in 95 we see this franco-dutch treaty and it's basically trying to say that since martin should be included as part of the european community and that means that Everyone who everyone else who is a part of the European community has direct access to Saint Martin, mm-hmm. right? But that also means that we need to close our borders to our Caribbean sisters, our Caribbean brothers, um, because we now need to protect Saint Martin against them in favor of European co- uh, community members, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was a big thing because it's this thing that was decided by Holland and France and then dictated to St. Martin, mm-hmm. whereas in the Treaty of Concordia, it's this thing that's uh, decided by St. Martin and then ratified by Holland and France and not the other way around. So it's you have something that's happening on the local level that then needs to be ratified uh, by Holland and by France and not something that happened with Holland and France and then needs to be ratified by St. Martin, right? So it's a completely different dynamic and it's one that is more in favor of the local population and our customs and our laws and not Mm -hmm. the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, Then Article 9, um, that any claims no one party may have against the other shall be submitted, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, and so... That's, that's the Treaty of Concordia right there. And so we see several examples of ways that our understanding of, of borders and, and the island right now are in complete disagreement with the Treaty of Concordia. And as Daniela Jeffrey would argue, um, that is the reason why we have so many issues today, because we are not paying attention to the Treaty of Concordia and our governance is not serving us. Um, taking into consideration what Carla was saying, I think you can see St. Martin as one nation and two states. So how does that then fit into the mentality of the nation state, right? Mm. Because it doesn't allow for something like St. Martin to exist. Like we, we, we don't fall into any kind of category. And instead of realizing that and trying to have our governance reflect our reality, we are trying to fit into these things that's actually just tearing us apart. Um, yeah, so something interesting that I thought that Carla said was borders as the end of where you relate to people. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's super mind-blowing because it's like, that's exactly what we're trying to create here on Sins Martin. We're trying to create two nations mm-hmm. instead of one nation, mm-hmm. right? We're trying to say French side has its culture, Dutch side has its culture, Dutch side culture stops at the border, French side culture stops at the border. Correct. but. Historically, we have never been those people, correct, ever, correct, you know? Correct. So it's like, why is that our understanding now? And correct. a lot of it is being imposed on us by the Dutch and the French. And I'm going to stop there. <laughs> My question, you know, um, uh, to, to what you said, Jonathan, was basically, who has the power and, and who does the law serve, you know? Because I think that's also important because while the Treaty of Concordia mentioned, you know, that it shall, you know, benefit the residents. At that time, you also have to consider well, who was considered a resident. One, no, that's definitely fair. Yeah, that's definitely you know, fair. Mm-hmm. and and interestingly enough, too, is that while the Treaty of Concordia was established, Saint Martin has changed flags at least sixteen times. Um, so even, uh, and and so that goes that I guess begs um, the question as to what is the value of it. Because if the French and Dutch, while, while they signed it, did not respect it or, or, or pay any um, sort of uh, owe to it, um, the fact that at one point the island was entirely French and it was entirely Dutch, and then in some cases the English was like, hey, well, yeah. forget you guys, I'm going you know, to claim it as mine. 
Um, I think that is also another um, important discussion or, or point to, to mention as we, we talk about the border because um, the Treaty of Concordia we established as the um, defining moment where uh, St. Martin, as we know it, began in terms of uh, a shared heritage and mm -hmm, culture. Mm -hmm. But even that was a fringe upon, and we're still seeing that infringement. Um, but it also goes to show how even ourselves know the value of it because we also exploit it to our advantage. Mm -hmm. um, and before I, I, I guess, touch point to that, it's basically just as I would like to mention. Um, for example, um, in World War One and Two, um, so in World War One, the the, the Dutch uh, was a neutral state, so it wasn't for the Allies nor Germany. Their thing was like just leave me out. And what the Allies did, along with the French, they sent um, goods and materials to Saint Martin, um, but from but to, from the French side, well, to the French side. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was like, okay, France is part of the Allies, and so we're gonna share our resources, our food and produce. But what I, what for me personally, what I love is that, you know, um, despite that 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 placement of a hard border in certain instances, we still find ways to overcome that. Mm -hmm. And and for, and this is an example where, for example, um, a comment was made as to somehow the the, the goods from the French side still found its way to Phillipsburg, mm -hmm. but it it will, and mm -hmm. you can't stop it because mm -hmm. you know we have that shared value and culture. We we have family on both sides of the island. So mm -hmm. you you know uh. uh a war, I mean, the fact that even a world war won't stop us from, from helping each other. Mm -hmm. And what I find most interesting was in World War Two, because opposed to World War One, Holland then decided, you know what, we're not going to be a neutral state. Um, we're automatically with the Allies. You know, we condemn the the Germans. And so um, when the Germans took over the yeah, when, when Germany invaded Holland and took over Holland, um, 14 soldiers from the French side in, uh, in 1940, yeah, in 1940, 14 soldiers from the French side, they marched over to that side, into Phillipsburg. They, um, the old hospital that was on Back Street at the time, I believe that was where Penny's is, mm -hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they made that their headquarters. And funny enough, was the fact that some local businessmen, some young um, St. Martiners, they, they threw rocks at the soldiers because they were like, wow, you're doing here, you know, I'm from French side. Mm. And, you know, and, and the, for the French soldiers, they were like, well, no, we're, we're here to, to, pr to protect, you know, mm -hmm. um, the Dutch side because obviously Holland has been invaded. Holland can't help you guys. And what they did was that they lowered the Dutch flag. <laughs> which <laughs> so, and, and, and that also was the last time, at least, for now that we know of, that there was ever uh, encroachment on the border from either side mm -hmm. of um, uh, the, the European territories, France, France or Holland. And so also, but the funny thing was the fact that the French soldiers had to march back to the French side two weeks after because then Germany invaded France. And so it was like, well, no, you can't provide this protection yeah. because, well, Germany has invaded you. And I think... All, um, events like that make it so interesting as to how, um, while you know, for us it's like we can easily cross over to the next side. Um, there are moments when we manipulate it, and an uh, interesting way was um, the the smuggling of alcohol, mm. because alcohol was basically. Um, yeah, well, not illegal per se, but you had to pay duties um, uh, if you were bringing alcohol to the Dutch side. And usually came in from the French side. And so mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that was interesting was the fact that uh, some in, in the book, The Making of, the making of an Island, uh, was the, the fact that people said, but you can't guard the hills. Mm -hmm. And so people always found ways to bypass the border. 
And I think with that sentence, you can't guard the hills. We mm -hmm. can think of the latest closing of the border with COVID, mm -hmm. where exactly people were crossing the border through the hills again. Right. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then going back to slavery, people mm -hmm. um, crossed through the hills. People fell in love, met mm -hmm. each other, you know, um, by crossing ways and paths in the hills. So mm -hmm. it's, it's so interesting uh, because what, what, what are the, one of the things that uh, we did over here on this side was that, so there was this governor um, in 1920 to 1923. His name was Jay van der Zee, Jay van der Zee, or um, and he basically so the strictness of the um, the application of duties on alcohol depended on who the lieutenant governor was. Some mm -hmm. of them were slack, and others like like the one I just mentioned, he was very strict, mm -hmm. and so um, he made sure that the duties was heavily imposed. Um, you know, on alcohol coming in from the French side, and so what a lot of us did was that some of the guards would. Um, uh, so not the guard. Some of the smugglers would just share it with the guard at the at the border because <laughs> it's like okay, I'll give you some and then you let me pass. And and don't tell me that. Well, you know now, St. Martin, we've not known even of recently. Maybe during the lockdown, you know, you're trying to <laughs> pass. <laughs> Lord. If this was a history class, I guess yeah, we would do it, right? Give me some good guava berries. Yeah, you know what I mean? I gave some guava berries. They don't, they don't guide some friends exactly. to Harlem. Exactly. Oh, oh, just close your eyes and go sleep. But, um, yeah, you know, they would they would share their alcohol with the guard. And so I'm, I'm like, imagine, I could very well imagine during a lockdown with someone trying to pass curfew, like, oh, come on, officer, just let me go over more. Meet my yeah, aunt. Or, sure. You know, like, uh, you know, just, let's let me pass. And and so there, there are ways in which we have def just defy that. And I think one of the... Well, um, uh, I guess we could go into that afterwards, which is the uh, recently before um, COVID and Irma was uh, the oyster pond situation, where you know, um, I guess that celebration of us coming together, where we saw um, Parliament of Saint Martin on two occasions, 2014 and 16, boycotted the Saint Martin Day celebration, and this is something which we know ceremonially. You know, we go to the border, then we, we celebrate on either side of the island to, to, to celebrate the, the unity of the island where, you know, there's this, this defiance because of whatever events may have taken place. And um, one of the ones I want to end off on is when, uh, in French Quarter, when you could not pass there during the, the protests of the uh, PPRN. Mm -hmm. Because, and it goes to show that while, again, we know that, you know, we can easily cross over to the next side. And it's like, yeah, we live on one island. And it's so, you know, it's like one island and how to say, like there's no, there's no barrier to entering to the other side. But there are moments when we decide, you know what, I, it goes to show the value of the border because just by closing the border, you see the impact it had on the livelihoods of so many people. Yeah. Whether it's, hey, from collecting of calf. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, so I don't mean to be funny. I'm just. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Well, you know, the, title, the main title is Melee. <laughs> but no, for real. From, you know, um, from the collection of calf to just people being able to, to um, move about to go to work. You know, here we see the impact of the borders. Like, this, so this whole notion that we have a free border, you know, there, we know when it has its value. And, and I, the, finally, uh, enough on. Um, in 19, oh, geez, 1994, and I could be wrong, 19, it, it was either 1990, okay, the early 1990s, when um, during the, the building of the airport, the so expansion of it, um, basically some, a lot of things went down, and local businessmen were prevented from 
yeah, getting contracts to like you know be subcontractors because Italian companies basic uh, Italian company basically had full reign over the, the the billing of the the airport, and so one of what so some local businessmen on the island what they did was like okay they had the resources and it was more so those who um, had, had like their contracting companies and so forth they shut down the island. You know, they, they shut down the island. One of the first things they did, they blocked the border. Mm. Why is that? Because it, it has a significance in our day-to-day our affairs. Mm. You know, that 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 um, movement of people, it it is so natural to us that until it is cut off, then we realize how much it hampers our lifestyle our, our and how, how much it, it hampers our ability to just enjoy the island on its whole. Mm-hmm. And so before I end up preaching, I think I'll just end on that note. But um, yeah, I guess uh, final discussion before we close. We have about ten minutes left. Cool. Um, I, mean, uh, I just wanted to add uh, something about what uh, Jonathan and you said. Uh, uh, Jonathan, I find it really interesting uh, what you said about the the treaty because I think that we don't really learn what is in the treaty, but mm-hmm, somehow. Mm-hmm. When something happens on the island and it goes against the treaty, it's bizarre. We, we feel <laughs> like it should not happen. Like, things like this well, should not happen. Do this? Yeah, exactly. So, sorry? No, go ahead. I was just making a joke. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so there's, there's the, the letter and then mm-hmm. the, there's, there's the letter of the treaty and then there's what we do of, mm-hmm. of the treaty. How we feel about it. Mm-hmm. How we act upon it. Because... Mm-hmm. Even though we don't know it, it's still a part that defines us and it's part of the essence of the island. And and we know when things are going on the wrong side uh, and disrespecting the, the the essence of the island, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, concerning what uh, Ralph was saying, I found it super interesting, your comment on World, World War One mm-hmm. because it's a crisis. It's an international crisis. Mm-hmm. And they're not closing the border. They could because the the Dutch ah, has a has a point of view, true, and the French have another point mm-hmm. view of the war. Mm-hmm. So there's divergence mm-hmm. in terms of of policies. But what they decide to do is to share resources. Correct. In times of crisis. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And what happens in 2020 when there's a crisis? We shut. There's the no way. sharing of resources. Correct. Anymore. Correct. There's no Why joint policy, oh. mm-hmm. no joint approach because at the end of the day. Just as how I can easily cross over Century Hill and end up God knows where, you know, so can the virus. And if, and if, if that is it, so if that can happen, then obviously we should have a joint approach towards dealing with um, anything that affects yeah. the margin as a whole. It's, yeah. And it's the treaty. The treaty is like, okay, should something from elsewhere come to an island and affect us, mm-hmm. we should uh, defend the island uh, uh, commonly, like. Like mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. so isn't the, the pandemic something that happened from somewhere else and that comes to the island to to hamper the island to mm-hmm. you know, to attack the island? Let's say mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And in that yeah, sense, I think I I would ask all of us and everyone listening: It's in what ways have we institutionalized the Treaty of Concordia? Because mm-hmm. it's great that it exists and that it you know we have it there in the back of our minds that when something does happen we're like oh yeah well let's uh pull up the treaty of concordia now to say that this shouldn't happen Mm -hmm. but in our day-to-day lives you know how have we institutionalized it in our education system Mm -hmm. justice system you know whatever because i think that that's the way that something lives on and Mm -hmm. i think today sometimes uh we see 
families as the institutions. So we see families as the way that, uh, or, or families across the border and relations across the border as the way in which we uh, say that we are one island, one people. But mm -hmm. if we take the demographics of our population into account, um, like what Jonathan and Ralph are both saying, and it's the sense that uh, a local population was always the one that was maintaining uh, the social relations, and mm -hmm. you're seeing European uh, Europeans move more in and out of the island. Um, how many thousand people are we really talking about yeah. that have family relations or anything that mm -hmm. cross the border? Um, and so how are we maintaining mm -hmm. this national story of one island, one people? Because if I'm honest uh, with myself, I don't see it. I, I know that I feel it, just like Steffi was saying, and it's, um, I don't, but I think sometimes uh, in self-identifying as uh, St. Martiner, people take for granted that not everybody has this feeling, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we think that possibly maybe because we control the newspapers, we mm -hmm. control the radio stations, that it's a much more lived reality. Uh, but I mean, I remember a few years ago in interviewing high school students and them saying that they've never been to the French side. Wow. Yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. How can you be a 15-year-old that's never been to the French side? And they're like, I don't want to take a bus to go marry go. And I was thinking, mm -hmm. you know, like I could never imagine mm -hmm. growing up and thinking, I have never been to another side of my, you know, but Correct. that reality mm -hmm. exists. And mm -hmm. I think because it doesn't have a voice or an institutionalized voice, we, we neglect the fact that it exists on a large scale. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Anything you want to add to that, Jonathan? Um, yeah, so kind of what Carla was saying, uh, as in like what institutions are supporting um, the, the treaty, um, I would say that in my research I found that um, both the Dutch side and the French side throughout the years we have gotten further away from each other and closer to um, our colonial allies. And by colonial mm. allies I mean the Dutch side has gotten closer to Curacao, to Stacia, um, to to our Dutch island sisters, even though I mean Stacia's right there, but Curacao is by Venezuela, right? Like it's not it's not close to us. And French side has gotten closer to, to Guadeloupe, to Martinique, to France. Um, and we see that, you know, it's like French side opened up their borders to Martinique and Guadeloupe before they opened up the borders to Dutch side during Corona, you know, it's like we're on the same island, like what, you know? <laughs> Guadalupe um, had more cases yeah. than the exactly, side same yeah. Exactly, yeah. you know, Just and so it's like we're seeing this thing of where, again, our colonial um, rulers are pushing us away from each other and towards our colonial ties, even, those, even though those colonial ties don't necessarily make sense, mm -hmm. and we're allowing it to happen. Um, and so something that Daniela Jeffries said was that she's, the way forward that she sees is um, a joint parliament between the Dutch side and the French side where you have representatives of the Dutch and the French in one parliament um, and then they make decisions for the island. Uh, so even, you know, outside of the discussion of independence, the discussion of joint governance needs to be had mm -hmm. because otherwise the French is going to do what the French wants to do with the French side and the Dutch is going to do what the Dutch wants to do with the Dutch side and it's, it's taking our views away from each other and and not towards each other, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Because um, on, on that note, I, I, for me, I guess I would I would add um, that I guess there just I don't know if there is, but it doesn't seem so. Which is why I'm saying, you know, that I guess there should just be a increased communication. I, and I do understand that 
when we communicate with uh, the franchise, not necessarily the, uh, the president of uh, Daniel Gibbs or so, it's more so with the French state. Um, but I mean, for all these years, uh, for centuries in which France, France, the Netherlands, and all these other European uh, nations, they know when you know to communicate and, and, and ensure that provisions are made for their colonies as long as it benefits their interests. And so, if this is something that is is vital to the interests and um, the legacy of our people here in Saint Martin, a provision should be made where you know it, there's 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 not that many red tape or restrictions for us to have meaningful dialogue and cooperation um, with you know, a, 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 a piece of land that is just 15, 15 minutes away from where I'm sitting right now, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. it's, it's right there. You're all the way over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to say something that I remembered, a, a conversation I had uh, a few months ago about hurricane season and mm -hmm. the way um, the districts are built. Because on the French side, when, uh, if, if your house is not in a good shape, you can go to a, a shelter. And the shelter you have to go to is based on where you live. Mm. And also, uh, during uh, COVID-19, um, you had to do your grocery shopping in the supermarket that was closer to your house. You couldn't mm. go to, to Super U if correct. you lived in French Quarter. Correct, correct. So, but it makes no sense because um, you, have, uh, you have supermarkets that are in, in Dutch Quarter, you know. So, mm -hmm. like, if you really wanted to think about uh, zones, you mm -hmm. could have made, uh, like, borderless zones, you know. Mm -hmm. French Quarter and Dutch Quarter being a zone, uh, La Savane being another one, Bellevue, St. James to, to, to Cold Bay being another one, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. you, you could have done that, but um, there's no, like, everything is taught, uh, uh, like, for the French and for the Dutch side. Correct. And, it's, it's lost opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just want to add quickly. Then, uh, uh, at Super U mm -hmm. uh, because everybody goes to Super U mm -hmm. and it's it's a it's too much of a population that is uh, uh, affiliated mm -hmm. to to one uh, one supermarket. You know, so it's ill management that 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 is uh, the result of of the closing of the border. Mm -hmm. And I just want to mention just briefly. You just have about two min two minutes left, so. Basically, this will be um, rounding words. Oh, were there any Facebook comments or anything that we? No, 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 no questions. I think so. I think with adding that, I think it was also uh, a lot of people were discussing it in a sense that you know we had this implementation of a solidified border between north and south, mm -hmm. and then suddenly too there was a border in between one side of the hill and Correct. the other side of the hill. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I live. Um, close to this uh, whatever zone mm -hmm. division that was created and I really would see it on a daily and think how strange it was that you know on an island that's already so small you have the solidifying of north and south and then suddenly the zoning I mean I know that COVID-19 brought a different reality to the way that we live but it's indeed uh, I think in the ways that we also live throughout the entire island mm -hmm. that then made it so hard also to then have this smaller imposed correct, zone, right? Correct, it's correct. like, I mean, you live on one side of the hill, but you know that Prime has these wholesale amounts that you correct. need, but suddenly you can't get And then the prices anything. matter too, mm -hmm. <laughs> depending exactly, on where you live. Exactly. Yeah. And then, I mean, you had the use of credit card. I mean, that's a whole other yeah, uh, situation. Yeah. But 
it's it's also ways in which you see through the cracks. I think the two sides of the island, the division, showed also the cracks uh, that you have on just one side alone, mm -hmm. right? Already that a government has in trying to manage uh, its population. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And okay, so we just have yeah a minute left. Um, any final words from each of you? Mm, wrapping up. Um, I think what I would like to end with is really just again <laughs> something Carla said. You know, um, what institutions are bringing us closer together, and what institutions are taking us further apart from each other? Like that's the essence of of our existence as Saint Martin. You know, it's like. How are we coming together as one people and what is kind of like turning us away and how do we actively combat the things that are turning us away? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So on that note, thank you everyone for tuning in. I thought you were going to say goodbye or something. Oh, bye everyone. <laughs> thank you for listening. Yes. Um, so thank you, thank you guys uh, for listening. Uh, you're listening to Millie, a conversation on Samaritan Martin history. Right up next we have... Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Melly. Have some comments? You can write to us at mellysxm at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at mellysxm. See you for our next episode of Melly, and in the meantime, stay curious. <laughs>